Well, seeing Brenda up here uh, with that children's message reminds me of uh, you know a little while ago when we had VBS, and uh, in VBS I was uh, at one of the closing uh, programs at VBS, and one of the twins came up to me because because uh, Brenda was doing something where she was giving some kind of awards or candy or something out to kids who had memorized a Bible verse and could recite it. And so the twin came to me and said, Papa, Papa, you know a Bible verse. What's a Bible, what Bible verse? And I, and I said, Jesus wept. You know, I figured that they could remember that, you know. And uh, she, she looked at me and said, no, 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 a Bible verse. <laughs> she didn't believe me that that was a Bible verse. So, uh, but, you know, that, that's a Bible verse that is, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, packed with meaning. And another verse that we just read today is another one that is incredibly short, not quite as short as that one, but incredibly short and, and also packed with meaning. And the verse goes like this, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. Six words in that verse. And it is packed with meaning. The Lord sent, first of all. It was the Lord doing the sending. He sent someone. He sent Nathan, the one who was sent. And he sent him to say something very risky to the king, to David. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you recognized that something was wrong, something was out of line, and you felt like you needed to say something, but you wondered, do I dare go there? Call it discretion, call it caution, call it cowardice, call it uncertainty. But you were at a crossroads. You had a decision to make. Do I dare take the risk and speak up? This person is probably going to get angry if I do that. Do I dare go there? Do I dare disrupt the peace of my family? Do I dare risk this relationship? And then the inevitable begins. Maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. Maybe someone else will speak up. Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and get on with life and pretend this just isn't happening. Some of us don't have this problem. There are those of us who speak before we think, sometimes stirring the admiration of the more cautious among us, but far too often getting ourselves into needless hot water with an imprint in our mouths where our foot gets stuck far too often. But nobody likes to be in that spot. So what do you do? What do you do when you have to speak up? How do you know if you're the one who should go there? How do you know if you should take the risk or not? Now, the saying goes like this. The only thing that needs to be done for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And yet, there are many parents who will not speak up with their kids for fear of alienating them. There are many people who will not speak up at work, even though what they see is, is, that is being done is obviously wrong, but they fear being ostracized or not fitting in. And there are many who will not speak up in public for fear that they're going to be labeled with some psychoanalyzed kind of a label from people around them. So we put up with dysfunctional families and workplaces and society rather than being the one who speaks up to say what everyone knows but no one says. The emperor really does have no clothes. You know, and as Christians, we don't want to come off as judgmental, right? You know it's not right to be judgmental, so, so the obvious then never gets said. Evil triumphs 
the world unravels. But sometimes, sometimes God leads people like you and me to be the one who has to speak up because the thing has got to be addressed by somebody. So, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he didn't just go to play gin rummy. No, Nathan was the one who had to speak up. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had gone to great lengths to try to cover his tracks, even to the extent of killing Bathsheba's husband. But he wasn't able to cover his tracks. The Lord knew exactly what David had done, and he wasn't pleased. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Others in the royal palace certainly knew what was taking place, but they said nothing. So it was Nathan who had to speak up. David had gone off the deep end. He was described as a man after God's own heart, and yet he was not behaving as a man after God's own heart. He had gone off the deep end, and something had to be done. Something had to be said. Now, Nathan was in a unique position, granted that. In those days, leadership in Israel was really divided between two houses. And you kind of like, to, you know, today in America, we've got, you know, the various branches of government. In those days, what they had was the prophet over here, and they had the king over here. Now, they were not co-equals and things like that necessarily. But in order for a king to be declared king, he needed to be anointed by God's prophet. Otherwise, it couldn't be done. And uh, likewise, as the king would go through his service as king, he was still answerable to God. So what the prophet had to say was important. It was important. It should be important to the king if he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. But the king also had powers of his own. The king could, uh, he had the, the right to exercise life and death kinds of decisions over people, even over the prophets. And in time, the prophets were invited to come and to sit at the king's table and to share in his meals and to share in the benefits of being king. So in time, the prophets, they, they saw the penalties and the blessings of, of being on the right side of the king, and they would tell the king rather than what God told them to say, they would tell the king exactly what he wanted to hear. But not so Nathan. He knew that he had to speak up, come hell or high water, come what may. So speak up, he did. Now, with this passage, what comes to mind for me is, is uh, what transpired oftentimes in our former denomination here, where every year we would have a um, denominational gathering. We would go and we would debate various issues, things like that. Out in the hallways, I would speak with people and other pastors from other churches, and I would hear story after story about pastors who were struggling in their ministry and just trying to keep their congregations afloat, trying to keep them alive. And yet nothing would ever be said, nothing would ever be done, no help would be offered from, from the denomination to try to address these kinds of issues. Instead, we would always be sidetracked by some contentious issue that would have to be debated. And uh, it would be the same kind of thing every single time where uh, whoever it was who would get up and, you know, we would have these microphones set up here where people come up and they would speak in the microphones about that particular issue. And um, now, 
you know, with contentious issues, you would think that a church body, the place that we would go, would be to the Bible for guidance. But anybody who would come up to the microphone and speak from a biblical perspective, they would be followed by a long line of people with personal attacks against them and, uh, you know, labels against them, calling them essentially, uh, you know, out-of-touch idiots and, uh, and, you know, psychologically deranged kinds of people with nothing from the front trying to rein these kinds of personal attacks in. So I would pray in advance, Lord, raise up somebody else to go up there and speak into that microphone. I don't want to speak up. I don't want to have to do it. And as cowardly as that might sound, and yes, it was cowardly, I was in good company. You look at the Old Testament prophets, look at Moses. Moses said to God, God, find somebody else. And yet, not Nathan. No, no. Nathan saw that he was the one. He had to speak up. And what he said was powerful and effective, leaving us a lesson that we can follow if we are in that position as well, when we find ourselves as the one who has to speak up. And it begins with this, credibility. Build credibility first. If you are the one who has to speak up, build credibility first. Nathan had established a relationship with David in advance of this moment. This wasn't the first time that they had ever met. He had a reputation for being one who was honest, one who would speak the truth, one who would speak God's Word. David had gone to Nathan in the past, seeking advice from the Lord. And now David was not going to Nathan to seek any advice, but he had this established relationship that had credibility with it so that Nathan came to him as a voice that could be trusted. Now, a lot of people go through life, I think, afraid of various things, but one of those things is criticism. You know, you don't want to be criticized by other people. But sometimes a critique can be something good if it comes from the right source, if it comes from someone who has credibility. I've found in ministry oftentimes that it is very beneficial to seek out credible people that I can go to and try to get critique on certain things. You know, give me feedback. What do you think of this direction? What do you think of this idea? What do you think of, you know, what did you hear in that sermon? You know, things like that and can receive critique. But it needs to be from credible sources. It can't be from somebody who's got an axe to grind or somebody who needs to work out, you know, a failed relationship in the past and work it out on, you know, on me and, you know, that kind of a thing. But no, somebody that has some credibility to them that I can, you know, trust what it is that they have to say. So critique is something that can be good. It can be something that can shape us and guide us and and help us on the journey. Now, you might have been in a situation where you have been verbally assaulted by someone and a friend says to you, hey, consider the source, meaning that person doesn't have much credibility, so why are you taking it personally? Now, the one person I don't want to be is that guy, you know, the the one who's considered to be the source, the one who has no credibility. So first, establish credibility. Live your life in such a way that you are honest with your dealings with people, looking to serve and invest in the well-being of these other people, loving others even so sacrificially that you are willing to go there. Because if you are willing to go there, it does oftentimes take love to be able to risk 
and step out to do that. Based on that credibility, you, like Nathan, will have earned the right to be heard. Build credibility first. Then, communicate strategically but truthfully. Now, what in the world could that possibly mean? Strategically is this. Don't just rush in, okay? Use a little forethought, a little advanced planning, a little empathy for the other person. What way might you be able to state this so that that other person would not immediately become defensive? That would be strategic. Now, Nathan went into this strategically. He told a story. 2 Samuel 12, he says this, when he, meaning Nathan, came to him, David, he said this story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. Now, he's telling really a parable here, but David doesn't know this yet. David is in a position, in those days, the kings of Israel would also be the judges of Israel. They were the judicial branch as well as the executive branch of government. So people could bring their cases to him, such as Nathan could bring a case to him that David would then decide. So David is hearing this story, thinking of himself in that role of judge, and he's pronouncing judgment ultimately on himself. But what he does here with this story, as as it goes on, uh, David, uh, when he heard this, in verse 5, it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this, who sacrificed this poor man's lamb when he himself had plenty, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Nathan won David over to the right opinion before David even had the chance to be defensive. But at the same time, he's very direct. He's very truthful when he said, you are the man. Now, you can't be much more direct than that. So he's strategic and he's truthful. He's strategic and direct. Now, we can either be too blunt, too direct, and force the other person into a defensive posture because they think they're being attacked, or too strategic, where we're beating around the bush so much that the person walks away saying, what in the world was that all about? They don't get it. But be both strategic. How might you go about this to minimize defensiveness? And blunt, that is clear in what you're saying. Then share the good news of God's grace. Nathan reminds David of all that God had given him by his grace, of all of the blessings that God had given to him by his grace, and that God would be delighted to give him even more than what he had given him to that point. When in verse 7, it says this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. All that David had was from God, but David got greedy. God's grace wasn't enough for him. He wanted to, you know, go his own way, and what happened then was that all hell broke loose and his life became a disaster area and the blessings stopped. 
So Nathan reminded David of God's grace. And it was important at that moment to remind him of God's grace because David had already pronounced judgment on himself. That man deserves to die, he said. It would be easy to think that this was the end. Game over. But Nathan said in verse 13, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. That's God's grace. David deserved to die, but instead he would live. Jesus died in your place. He died to take away your sin. But that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences of our actions. There are still things that we set in motion. There are things that David had set in motion. In David's case, the child that would be born to Bathsheba that was a result of that adulterous affair would die. But David would live. Bathsheba would live. And from Bathsheba would come another child by the name of Solomon. The irony of this, that out of this relationship that began with such foolishness comes this one who was called the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. Amazing God's grace. That instead of death here, David receives life and he receives a legacy. There is grace at the end of this. And, and because Nathan spoke up, he gets to experience not just the simple problems and the trying to escape the ramifications of his actions, but instead he experiences a life that is lived by grace because Nathan dared go there. Nathan demonstrates that you can do a lot of good for those people that you care about and you love in your life that are around you if you dare to go there. But make sure that what you say is from the Lord. Make sure that it is out of love for that other person in their best interest. The way to do that is to live a life that is leaning into God's grace, that lives and thrives on God's grace for you, that you will have the peace to move ahead, that you will develop credibility, communicate both strategically and truthfully, and share the good news of God's grace so that the other person is not devastated but rather sees hope for a new way, a new way to live. David had this burden lifted. Because Nathan dared go there.